You're listening to a message from Maranatha Church of Jacksonville. For more information, please visit our website, maranathajax.com. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. It's Thursday, and that means it's Throwback Thursday. And on these Throwback Thursdays, we like to dig through our old sermon archives and share um, one of our old messages from years past. And today we have a message that's from 2016. It's when Jason Upton visited us and he spoke a message that was about our identity from God and his purposes for us, his love for us, and all that kind of thing. And I hope it blesses you and have a listen. So open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 3, and um, we're going to just start at verse 13. The scriptures say that Jesus went up on the mountain and called to himself those that he himself wanted. And they came to him. And then he appointed twelve. That they might be with him. And they, that he might send them out to preach. I'm just going to read that again. And. He went up on the mountain and called to himself those that he himself wanted. And they came to him. And then he appointed twelve. That they might be with him. And that he might send them out. To preach. So I just want to just stay right in that little that beginning place. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that came into being came into being through Him, and nothing that has come into being has come into being without Him. Is that amazing? That everything that comes into being comes into being by being with Jesus. And Jesus comes into this world, and He says, I want to make all things new. And this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to go up on this mountain and I'm going to call to myself those that I want. So, I mean, it might be just the the poet in me, but I get stuck on words. My father-in-law has been going to prayer retreats for 40 some odd years and he takes me on these silent prayer retreats. And I find that on silent prayer retreats, I go from the first day reading three or four chapters of the Bible, the second day reading a chapter of the Bible, the third day reading three or four verses. And by the fourth day, I'm reading words. And just sitting on words and allowing those words to penetrate my spirit, my mind, right? This is a word, guys, that Jesus called to himself those that he wanted. So just sit there on that. I mean, I have four kids, and this is the reality. When you're raising four kids, it's in, it's in, you learn right away that a really important part of our feeling valuable in this world is that we feel useful. 
And if you don't feel useful, you end up sort of drifting off into all sorts of abuses. What, what, what the Bible calls sin, right? It's just completely missing the beautiful mark of the usefulness and the purpose of your life when you were created. And to be someone who feels useful is an important part of our identity and who we are. Somebody could say, I love you, but you don't really, you're not very useful. That's not going to get you anywhere in life. If you don't feel useful, right? It can damage the inner part of who you are. Jesus has a purpose for you. Jesus didn't create you in this world just to sort of spin your wheels. Jesus is in the process of creating you even right now. In fact, I heard this last year on retreat. The, the priest that was giving the retreat said this. It was amazing. He said, do you know the real purpose of marriage? The real purpose of marriage is that you promise before all the people that you're going to take part in the continued creation of the other. So God, this is the, and I say that because I'm going to say something that's really important also. See, it's important to feel useful. But I'd rather be wanted than be used. Understand it's because if I'm wanted, well, I will be useful. But you could be used your entire life by people and not be wanted. Isn't that right? And Jesus says, this is the, this is the deal. I'm going to come into this world and I'm going to transform the whole world. And I'm going to start by saying, I'm going to call to myself those that I want. I just want you to put your hands up like this and just receive this. This is a beautiful thing to receive from any father figure in your life, mother figure. This is the way it should happen if we're just raised by parents that love us. But we also have another way of, of receiving this. The God of the entire universe says over you and me, I want you. I want you. Can you just receive that? Just say, thank you, Jesus. This is what Jesus, just receive this even deeper. Before Jesus ever raises a dead person, before he ever walks on water, before he ever feeds the 5,000, he hears the voice of his father say over him, you're my beloved son. And this is what God says over you and me. I'm going to change the whole world, but I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to start with you knowing I want you. And then what does he say? He calls to himself those that he wants so that they could be with him. Wow. That's what I love about your worship, Brian. I don't know if you noticed this. Styles are different. Everybody has their own styles, don't they? But this is one of the things I noticed about the worship this morning. If I was a curator of what happened this morning, what I noticed is that there was a lot of centering us on what? Jesus. And why does Brian center us on Jesus? Why does worship, why is it so important to be centered on Jesus? 
Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that has come into being has come into being through Him. And nothing that's come into being, and I don't even understand this phrase because it's so crazy. It's like a, it's, it, 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 it's like a, it, a tongue twister, isn't it? And nothing that has come into being has come into being with Adam. That all of your becoming happens by being with Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to make everything new. I'm going to, you know, there's many people in our world, especially in the United States of America, mostly in the United States of America, because it is kind of interesting and ironic, I might add, that remember that old Pharaoh of Egypt? Remember the old Pharaoh of Egypt who had it all, right? Who had it all, had bad dreams. It's interesting that... Ironically, those that have it all have bad dreams of scarcity and anxieties and fears of the future. And this is what Jesus says to us in America today. This is what he says. Hey, on that boat, you know, with the waves crashing over the boat and the disciples are all freaked out about what's going to happen. Are they going to die? And Jesus is asleep. In Gethsemane, right? In Gethsemane, Jesus is awake. It's almost the flip, isn't it? And the disciples can't stay awake. This is reality, guys. We need to stay awake to what Jesus is awake to. Realizing that he's with us. That he makes all things new, and he doesn't make all things new by coming in triumphantly and destroying all the enemies. He makes all things new by declaring over many times the least of us in this world, hey, I want you. And you know how I'm going to transform the world? Come and be with me. And let's walk together. And I'm going to send you out to preach the good news in the world. And the good news in the world is that my kingdom not only has come, my kingdom is forever. This is what I loved about the worship this morning. It focuses on, what does it focus on? It focuses on Jesus. and, And by being focused on Jesus, we realize that's the center of everything. And when we center on that, on being with Jesus and receiving his love for us. Well, that changes everything. I'll never forget the first time, first time um, I was at Asbury. There's a man who's there now. Bob Stamps is there. Bob Stamps was my first mentor. He was a, charismatic from the United Methodist Church. He'd been at ORU, then to England, met a woman named Ellen who had traveled with Corey Tenboom. They came through, and in their late years, they got married. They were in their 40s. They found love for the first time, had children. I'm there in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm 16 years old. I had just gotten my license and I had enough lawn mowing jobs where I raised enough money to buy a 323 Mazda. And it, it was four, you know, had four gears. I remember I, first time I held Rachel's hand was in that 323 Mazda. And I remember I, I got so nervous. I, I reached out to grab her hand for the first time, listening to Tony Campolo. Remember that guy? That guy was not a romancer, I'll tell you that. That guy, ah, ah, you know, he talked like that, and I was, listen, I was so into him at the time. I was, you know, this is 20-some years ago, and I reach out to 
hold Rachel's hand for the first time. And you know, that's like the first kiss, isn't it? It's like there's something, I, I can't even tell you younger people what that's like. It's amazing. And you, I, I grabbed her hand for the first time and chills and, and I'm in third and I'm on a highway. And that thing in fourth didn't go and it started shaking at about 53. You know what I mean? So third, we were going about 40 miles an hour down the highway. And I didn't want to let go. So I went all the way down that highway for 30 miles in the right lane going about 40. And I was oblivious to it. Tony Campolo's on. I didn't want to turn him off either. I just held her hand and drove all the way. That's our first experience of holding hands. So, anyway. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget Bob Stamps. We had been ministering, he'd been ministering to me in a mentoring role. And I'll never forget the first, really, three, four months of our mentoring relationship. It was him. It was like the woman at the well. Jesus says to the woman at the well, can I have some water? This is the way he mentored me. It was him in his 60s saying to me, this little kid, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And this little thing is going on in our church. What do you think about this? And he was always asking me my opinion. And then he'd receive from me. And then before long, I started realizing, ah, I want to ask him some questions. And then we had this beautiful relationship. So a couple of years we had a relationship and amazing time in mentoring. And I meet him at Kieran's Family Restaurant. At, he was Irish. So Irish Family Restaurant down in Minneapolis before I went to school at 6 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. And then I was going to go off to college and he was going off to another ministry out in Virginia. And ministry call and so it was our last meeting together, and I remember asking him, so, Pastor Bob, if you just had one thing that you could tell me going off to college and into my life, just one piece of wisdom, what would it be? And he looked at me and he said, all right. He took his pen, I remember, and he gave me the pen, and he moved over a napkin. And he said, write these things down. He said, number one. I wrote one. He said, write this down. This is my first word of advice for you. Be still and know that I am God. This is what the Lord says over you. So I wrote that down. Be still and know that I am God. I said, okay. That's good. That's good. Of course, you know, I don't even know... (laughs) Be still and I'm God. That's good, Pastor Bob. Thank you. He said, now, this is number two. This is what I'd say to you. Jason, be still and know. Write that down. Be still and know. And he said, and this is the third piece of advice I'd give you. So write number three. I wrote number three. He said, Jason, be still. So I wrote that down. 
And my fourth word of advice for you, Jason, as you're going off into life, just be. Write that down. And I remember he prayed for me. And I, and I said to him, I said, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. But I didn't, I, I was like, wow, that's cool. And I saw the pattern because I'm poetic, you know what I mean? I thought, that was amazing. <laughs> I didn't have a clue how true that was. I remember I, it was years later I was on retreat and I was having a dream. It was two in the morning. I awoke to this dream where Bob Stamps is saying that to me. And as I came out of the dream, it just flowed off my tongue. Oh, that's why. Because B, it's the beginning of beginning. It's the beginning of B, is the beginning of behaving. I mean, this is a kid that got saved about 400 times before I was 15. (laughs) B is the beginning of behaving, B is the beginning of belonging, B is the beginning of becoming. And B is the beginning of beautiful. And B is the beginning, we worshiped to it this morning. And B is the beginning of beloved. And Jesus says, I'm calling to myself those that I want so that you can be with me. This is the amazing thing about this passage is this. I wrote this poem last year on my, on my retreat, we don't find God. That's not how it starts. How it starts is God finds us. So who do we find? Who do we find? Well, we find ourselves eventually, <laughs> Right? Anybody that's above 40, can you say amen? We find ourselves eventually, hopefully. And when we do, we find the God who found us and loved us long before we could find and love ourselves. We don't find God. God finds us. Who do we find? We find ourselves eventually, hopefully, and when we do... We find the one who loved us and found us long before we could find and love ourselves. God finds us. And Jesus says, I want to be with you and I want to transform the world by being with you. The good news of Jesus does not begin with how much do I want God. The good news of Jesus is how much he wants us. That's the good news of Jesus. It's not how much we want God. It's how much he wants us and wants to be with us and wants to be present to us. And and the reality is is he is present. Why? Because we're not Baal worshipers. We're Jesus worshipers. We're Yahweh worshipers. What does that mean? We don't cut ourselves and beat ourselves to get God to come. God's here. The issue is that God's not the one with the relationship problem. We are. We don't even know how to relate to this Jesus who says, I want to come and I want to be with you. 
I'm going to transform and change the world by being with you, by spending time with you. God wants to be with us. And sometimes it's, it's, it's easy to almost be like, well, that's, that seems real simple, but it's not simple. It's not simple because it starts from when we're very, very little. Our first cries are what make us feel, you know, being heard are what make us feel either that we belong or we don't. Remember Jean Vanier, have you ever heard of Jean Vanier? He ministered to a guy named Henry Nouwen and had La Arche and, you know, he's done a lot with, Angry people that were very angry and the whole system of the world had given up on them. All the systems that we have for, you know, people that would beat themselves and hurt themselves. And he would he would have them come to their house and he would care for them. And he he would say often the, the greatest problem with somebody that has anger management issues is just being understood. listened to. Having a place to belong. And. Uh, he started, his, the beginning of his whole ministry was he went into a, a children's psych hospital. And when he went into that children's psych hospital, he was with the nuns and they're walking him around and he sees all these children on beds and none of the children are making a noise. None of the children are playing together. None of the children are crying. Nobody's making a noise. And so he asks the nun, why aren't any of these children making noises, crying, roughhousing, anything. The nun looked at him and said, well, by the time we get them, many of them have cried so many tears and nobody's heard them. That after a while, they just, they don't believe anybody's listening. So they just stop crying. And the minute I heard that, I thought, wow, that, see, that's it. When we come into worship, we don't, We don't worship like there's a God who doesn't hear our cries, right? I mean, sometimes I go to churches all over the world and we lead worship and it's as if, you know, there's certain places I go that there are no father figures in the home. And Colombia is a great place like that, for example. I I remember the first time I went to Colombia, you can sing Kumbaya, my Lord, and the whole place will erupt. That's the, what the worship is like there. The kumbaya, and the place goes crazy. Holy Spirit, Jesus, anything. But I remember asking them, can you just now just say the name Father? And the whole room shut down. They couldn't worship saying that he's their father. They couldn't say the word Father. And it took days and days to realize. The pastor came to me and he said, you know that 80% of these homes, there's no father figure. And if there is a father figure in the 20% of the homes that have a father, those father figures are very distant. So when you say the name father, they, they have to be trained that this father that you're talking about looks like Jesus. You see? And it took three days with that group of people to literally start talking about Jesus. When we see Jesus, we've seen what the father looks like. That's the relationship that God wants to have with you before they could lift their hands and say, Oh, Father, we receive from you. It's so important for us to realize that 
often the way that we're, that we're trained, even being raised, is connected to how we relate to God. Right? That, that first moment that you cry as a baby. Oh man, we had babies that cried all night. And you know what? What is belonging? What is belonging? I'll give you a picture of belonging. I remember my mother-in-law, Doris. My wife couldn't sleep through the night. Samuel and Emma cried all night long. And by the time we got to Emma, Rachel, it, she, was, she couldn't sleep. And we, I remember we'd go up to my in-law's house and, and Rachel's mom, this is belonging. Rachel's mom would say, hey, listen, when you've had enough, you can't handle it anymore. You just call me. Many times at three in the morning, two in the morning, Rachel would call on the intercom, mom, can you come and, and, Grandma would hold my daughter, Emma, who's here. Stand up, Emma. (laughs) She's saying, (laughs) this is belonging, guys. This is how we learn the love of God. This is how we learn the love of God. I'll show you the love of God. Grandma would hold Emma all through the night and would pat her on the back. And it happened so many times. And you think we could claw that baby out of grandma's grip? Mm -mm. Because both, right? That's belonging. And and after a while, it got to be so funny because we have videos of Emma tapping grandma on the back. (laughs) The same way grandma would tap Emma on the back. And they say, you want to know belonging? A little baby being held by her grandma so many times that they would tap each other with the same cadence. She'd go for a nap, and there they'd be, tapping each other, rocking in the rocking chair. And from that early place, what happens? You learn that my cries, when I cry, somebody hears me. Amen? When you cry, when you... It's not just to be sad... When you laugh, when you tell bad jokes, right? I wrote this down this morning. You know, uh, this place of belonging is the place where my cries are first heard. That's how it starts, guys. This place of belonging is where my life is loved enough to be disciplined. This place of belonging is where my jokes are tolerated. (laughs) Right? I mean, I, I didn't know that I'd be 42 one day driving my son to school, going to high school, and my son would say, Dad, and I'd tell a joke that I thought was funny, and he'd say, oh, that's a dad joke. And I thought, what's a dad joke? A dad joke? It's all right, Dad. He just told us a dad joke. This place of belonging, guys, this place that Jesus is talking about starts at the very earliest parts of our lives. Our lives are not erratic like this and our emotions don't have to be all over. Jesus could live a life that looked like this because inwardly he was like this. What is that? The the craziest people are the people that inwardly they're like this and on the outside they're like this. Stay away. They're crazy. Certainly don't have them babysit your kids. You know what I mean? But, but this is what, this is, this is the goal. 
that you can live a life of mountains and valleys because you know you belong. That you can walk with a Jesus that isn't scared, right? If life isn't just like this. Life, growth, is like this. Musical waves are like this. Certainly, worship is much more about following Jesus than it is about singing to him. Why do I say that? Because Jesus says, I want you and I want you to be with me. And it's even better. We are becoming. Why do we belong? Why do we belong with Jesus? Why do we center on Jesus? Why do we come together? Why do we worship together? Because we're becoming, guys. I'll never forget this uh, blind Jesuit priest named Father Larry Gillick. Gave a retreat talk. The first time I'd ever seen him speak. He'd been blind so long he almost stares at you when he speaks. And I remember I was sitting right where you are. It's all men. He said, some of, some of you in this room, this is chilling. He said, some of you in this room, you think that God, and maybe in, in, in our room, I know I go back and forth on this, honestly. Some of you in this room, you think that God disapproves of you. It was like he could almost stare at you even though he's blind. It's like he had trained himself. He said, and I want you to know, I want you to write this down tonight. God does not disapprove of you. So I wrote that down. I mean, I've heard that. How many times have you heard that? God doesn't disapprove. Thank God we live in a time where we're starting to learn that. But then he said something, and this is the way all real words from God are. They alter you. They change you. They make you say what before you receive it, right? Then he said this. He said, and some of you, and I want you to write this down. Some of you think that God approves of you. But he doesn't approve of you either. I know. (laughs) Write that down. I wrote that down. He doesn't approve of me. It's my first time listening to this guy. And then he said something that's so true, it cut to the... Have you ever had somebody say something like that? So true, it cuts, right? He said this, he said, oh, it's, it's much better than that. God loves you. And God... Listen to this, guys. Is not a machine. He's not a press. He's a potter. And then he says this. He says, I like to do pottery sometimes. Of course, he's blind, so it's a beautiful picture, right? I'm closing my eyes. He said, I love to do pottery. And I put that pottery on the wheel, and just like you with God, the potter, it moves away from me. And I allow its moving away from me. I reverence its moving away. Isn't that beautiful? It's like Jonah's running. God reverences it, 
and, 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 and he says, ah, oh, yeah, you're not going to get off the wheel because you're becoming. You can't ever get off the wheel with God. It isn't, I don't approve of you and disapprove of you. No, I, it's way more fearful than that. I love you. And like Jonah, you can run, but I'll even reverence your running and I will shape and form you. And you are and you will forever be becoming. You see, we're becoming. And, you know, really, honestly, that that terrifies us a lot more than we're willing to admit that God would be that huge, that he would even with our own children, that maybe from the very beginning, Adam and Eve is the story of all of us. Maybe we were supposed to leave the garden and return again. Maybe the process of moving away and coming back to and returning. Maybe this is the journey of life. Doesn't that look a lot more eternal than this? Maybe the journey of life is sometimes you just got to leave something to come back and really realize what it is. How many of you are over 30? Then you already know. Because you left home thinking you knew it all and you came back knowing you don't know it all and being grateful for what you were given. This is the journey of life, and this is the way God is. He reverences our journey, and, and, and we are becoming. Now, I want you to hear this. My daughter, Emma, taught me this wisdom. I took her on a, on a Bible study. I'd memorized the whole part of Adam and Eve. And, uh, and I, was, I didn't want to bore her, so I got her pancakes, and we sat there. And she, she has Bible studies with Grandpa all the time in the summer. He takes all the kids, all... 18 grandkids on Bible studies. And uh, so I was a little bit jealous. And I want to take Emma for a Bible study myself. And so I took her for this Bible study. And, 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 and I had memorized it because I didn't want her to be bored. And I'm telling her just the beginning of Adam and Eve and how they were created. And uh, so I'm getting in the middle. This is my first time. I'm a little nervous. She's eating a pancake. She's got a pancake coming in, in her mouth. She's still chewing it. And she says, Dad, isn't this story so sad? I said, uh, oh, I mean, they're not to that part yet, Emma. It's <laughs> not like they haven't eaten an apple and all that stuff yet. I mean, they, no, I think this is a beautiful part of the story. God's creating humanity. She said, well, I think it's so sad. So I asked her, I said, well, why do you think it's sad? She said, well, don't you think it's sad that they never got to be kids? You mean they just had to start out as adults? (laughs) I thought, oh, good grief. Now she's taking me for a Bible study. (laughs) See, that's how it happens. Why do I say that? Because we are becoming. Jesus says, I'm going to transform the whole world and I'm not going to do it by... Some of us would like this, right? Some of us real moralists would love this. You know, that God would just once a month just shout from heaven. Hey, everybody. I'm God. Shape it up. Wouldn't that be awesome? Be amazing. You know, and everybody would shape it up. And then we'd all live good for about 25 days. Maybe if we're lucky, probably not. And then, you know, we'd know, okay, well, another couple months we're going to get a new deposit of like God's wrath from the sky and everybody will act right again but that's not the way God does it he says I'm going to come into the world I'm going to transform it all by you just being with me spending time with me 
rejecting me and not even knowing what you've rejected until far after I've resurrected. Transforming you in a way that you won't even know how transformed you have ever become until way after I'm gone, preaching messages to you that feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves and fishes and then jumping on a boat and leaving just to leave them all go, what just happened? (laughs) Jesus, this is the way he transforms the world. Why? Because this is God. God isn't like us. He doesn't change the world like we would change the world. He doesn't fix it all up in a day. Let's just fix all the problems right now. No, he says, now I want to come and be with you in the midst of it, and I want you to be with me. And I'll even endure your pain in the process. I'll endure your anger. I'll endure all your frustration because I want to be with you. And you are becoming, and you can't get off his wheel. You just receive that from the Lord. Just receive that from the Lord. This is the goodness of God. That he's come and he's ever coming saying, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. You are becoming. That's the issue with many of us, guys, is that we're actually. um, We're plagued in our day and age, you know. By an entire generation that. You know, by the time you're 40, you should start the process of becoming an elder, right? But many of us, you know, we never allowed ourselves to be kids, right? We thought that Christianity was being perfect, right? We thought that Christianity was being perfect. In many ways, you know, we think that Christianity is arriving somewhere. I've arrived. I'm a good Christian. I do it right all the time. Don't I? Have you ever been around this? Right? Yeah. I do it right. And then when I don't do it right, I got to fix it because I don't do it right. And then I got to get it right. And then I'm going to do it right. And many of us, we never allow ourselves to be children. Like all of my children, because of my, you know, me and Rachel's parenting, Samuel didn't walk until he was 18 months. And then Emma didn't walk until she was 13 months. And then Lucy walked a little sooner, and then Oliver walked the fastest. And it's the same, the same way with all the kids on their bicycles. What's the issue? The issue is that me and Rachel just learn how to parent. You see, because Samuel, we just never let him walk. We held him, and we'd never let him fall down. We never let him skin his knee, and we never see. But this is not the process of becoming. The process of becoming, by the time we got to Oliver, we were just like, good luck. <laughs> and Oliver would just like, he'd fall down all the time. And he walked so fast. And the other day, he, he swam for the first time. You know, just all of a sudden, he's like, Dad. He told me, that he said, this, after he did it, he said, Dad, this morning I just came to the pool and I sat down next to it. And I said to myself, I'm going to swim today. That's what he said. So he did it. But what's, what's, the, what's the point? Is that if we never, if we think that failure and falling, see, failure and falling is not the enemy. See, we even think that good is the enemy of great. We've heard this. I'm sure it's a great book and idea and stuff. I haven't read it, but I'm sure it's great and everything. And you get good is the enemy of great. Don't be good. Be great. You can't be great if you've never been good at something. In fact, you can't be great at, if you want to pick up the guitar and be great, you'll never be great. You, you, can't, you can't be great unless you're okay at something. You can't be great unless you're terrible at something. 
We think that failure is the enemy of great or that or that. Well, if you, in our world, we even have this lie that we live. Well, if they say they're a Christian, then they should be perfect. Isn't it amazing how you meet so many extremely religious people that don't go to church? Well, if they're Christians and they should be, they say that mm, they should be like perfect and everything. This is reality, guys. Perfection isn't even what Jesus is after with you. Being with him is what he's after. And I've never met anybody that's perfect anyway. What's, what's the point? If we, never, if we never allow ourselves to be children, we'll never be elders. So you got all these people nowadays that they're, they're, they're in their 50s and 60s and they're wanting to be kids again. Instead of enjoying what it is to be an elder. And what's an elder? Deeply in our hearts, we need this today in the church. We need people that can hold long grace in their hands. That can teach us that death is actually a doorway. And falling is learning to stand. No, nobody in their 30s is going to teach you that falling is learning to stand. This is what the church is for. This is what community is for. This is what belonging is for. To have people. We should have old people preaching all the time in churches. But what have we done? We've traded that for the cheap lie of some young person trying to make it in this world. We have first half a life preaching in America. And we're dying because of it. This is the, this is the gift of America. The American church could come alive like never before if we'd actually want the people that God has given us. You, you know what I say in our, we have a church plant and I say, I say, man, I love our, our youth pastors, but I just wouldn't be afraid to have youth pastors that are 70. Well, yeah, they wouldn't relate to the kids. Well, yeah, whatever. They'd probably be better for them. I, I get it. I get it. I understand it. We got to be cool and hip and all this stuff, but. No, no, no. What we need are people that can teach us how to walk, how to run, how to ride our bike, how to live. And you don't learn it by trying to be perfect or trying to be great. You learn it by belonging, being. And then in the process of that, because you're wanted, you feel so useful. And Jesus says you transform the world. So let's just go back to the alternative, and we'll, we'll finish with this. The beginning of this chapter in, 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 in chapter 3 of Mark is this interesting story of a healing on a Sabbath. And just, just before all this calling, I'm going to transform the world, this is what happens, guys. And then we're going to finish. And Jesus enters the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And these Pharisees, this is interesting how we, we get, don't we? Pharisees are looking at Jesus. It says they're watching him closely. Man, interesting. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, he said, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, 
being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians. Isn't this amazing? So he heals the man and then they go out and they plot with the others against him how they might destroy him. Jesus comes into the world and in that context, right, he says, guys, we're going to transform the world just a few verses later and we're going to do it by me telling you, I want you and I want you to be with me. Let's just go back to that. This is what happens, guys. We could have had it all in this world. If we would, and I know it's hard. When we, when we preach messages like this, I always get emails like, oh, you're just, what are you, some gracie, like, you know, they have all these words for it now. You know, you're just like, oh, it's just God's, God's love is just going to make us all good. You, you need to get up there, Jason, and tell them what they need to change. This is not how Jesus transforms the world. Jesus says, I want you to be with me. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to walk with me. And I want you to tell everybody that I want to be with them. And if they would just wake up every morning, not trying to be the best, not trying to be perfect, not trying to be right or wrong, right? But just stretch their hand out toward all I want to give them today. There's a word for that. It's called living a sacramental life instead of living a judgmental life. Jesus walks in. This is a huge moment, guys. Jesus is going to transform and make all things new. And where does he start? He starts with this process of right in the beginning. I want you, Adam and Eve, I want you, humanity, to look around you. Look as far as your eye can see. You can have it all. I want you to close your eyes right now for a second and just clench up your fist real good and tight, right? You know how you do? Until, until you actually feel, you can quickly feel that blood come right out of your hands, can't you? These, these disciples, they're walking in. You know, Jesus walks in that synagogue and there's those Pharisees guys and their hands... You know, what Jesus is saying is there's a man with a withered hand. But there's not just one man with a withered hand, guys. All of humanity has a withered hand. This is what all of the miracles of Jesus are. They're not just about that one person. They're about all of us, guys. This man with a withered hand isn't the only one with a withered hand. There's a whole host of you in this room that have a withered hand because you've been, you're about ready to beat into the very son of God what's right and wrong. Because you think that's your job. This is what's happening right in the scripture. They're about ready. They're just watching him to see what he does wrong. And then they're going to beat right and wrong into him. And their hands have become withered because instead of reaching out with an open hand and receiving all that God has given, including his very son, right? We clench our fists good and tight feel like what it is to be alive in this world is to be a fighter to do what you know maybe we're like Peter to do what we thought Jesus always should have done to change the world I want you just to let your hand go 
you, you almost can feel, if you've held it for a while there, you can almost feel the life come back into it, right? Jesus comes into this world and says, I want to transform the world by being with you. No transformation that's ever happened in my life that's been long-lasting has happened because I went to some event, although those are amazing, really important. It happened because people have been with me, spent time with me. That the God of this world spends time with me. The God of this world has a hand that's open and receives me. And this God receives you. Jesus, break off of us the spirit of judgment that in the beginning, that's the one thing you didn't want us to eat from was the ability to know and judge what's right and wrong. That's not what you want from us. You want us to have our hands wide open and live a sacramental life that receives all the gifts that you're giving because they're from you. That every moment of every day is a moment to receive your mercy, your grace, your presence. So this morning, if you want to receive that, I'd ask for the prayer teams to move up to the front here. And uh, some of you that are on the prayer team, can you move up front? stand and uh, the, the amazing gift to the church is that we are created to receive people we are created to touch people we are pre- we're created to distribute right all that we receive why do we receive um body and blood of Jesus, we receive it to become that in the world, right? Why do we receive forgiveness to go and forgive and pardon? So if you want to let go of a judgmental life in any way, shape, or form and receive It could be that you want to let go of it. You know, God doesn't come into the world to to judge the world and tell it what's wrong with it. He comes in the world to be with the world and heal the world and make it new again. That's what you long for in your life. Just come forward and receive prayer just from where you're at right now. If you've received judgment and you just want to receive a new blessing from the Lord on your life, as a beloved son and daughter of God, just come forward. And I want to pray over you and have the team pray for you. Step out from where you're at.